Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should be not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know whether neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he had, who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also had, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate from one, separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And He will set the sheep on His right hand and but the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those on His right hand, Come, you blessed of My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. 
Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to him, Assuredly, I say to you, insomuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, insomuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Let's pray together. Father, we are so humbled by the preeminence of your word. We are so thankful that you've put it into our lives and it has its place that you've placed it in our lives, Lord. And we ask, Lord, that you would do a supernatural work of your Holy Spirit in each one of our hearts through your word today. Would you encourage those that are discouraged? Would you comfort those that need comforting? All the things that are in your great father's heart to do, Lord, would you do today through your word? We thank you that it will outlive the heavens and the earth, Father. We're so grateful it will accomplish every purpose it's sent to accomplish, Lord. We're grateful that it's spirit and it's life and it's truth and it's all the things that we need. So help us, Lord, to assimilate these things in a way that brings you glory and honor. And we entrust it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We are still on the top of the Mount of Olives. Last week, uh, we saw Jesus speaking to his disciples and he came out of the temple and they were showing him the temple buildings and he gave a prophecy that not one of these stones will be left on another. And then they traveled through the Kidron Valley up the valley that, or the road rather that goes up to on the top of the Mount of Olives. And then, uh, they asked him, they said, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And so they're, they're not asking when will the rapture when will that happen? They're not asking anything regarding the church. Uh, they're, what they're doing is they're asking, when are you going to come and sit on David's throne? When are you going to rule and reign? When are you going to come and set up your kingdom that we heard and the Old Testament prophets prophesy about this kingdom age where, where all these things on earth happen and they're asking that. And as I went over last week, it's very Jewish in nature, the whole thing that he's dealing with. These are Jewish believers asking their Jewish Messiah when he is returning to sit on a Jewish king's throne, the king of David, uh, or the King David's throne, and set up the kingdom age as their Jewish prophets had foretold. So the kingdom age described, it, it described all kinds of things and they knew about this. They knew that there would be animal sacrifices during the millennium. Did you know that? The animal sacrifices probably in memorial of, of the seriousness of sin and pointing back to what Jesus did for us, much like how we do and what we'll do today with receiving communion, thinking back on the price of sin and all those things. There'll be Sabbaths. They'll be keeping the uh, fest, the new moon festival. There'll be the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, we still serve a Jewish Messiah. 
<laughs> and, and these are Jewish believers here in the seven-year tribulation that we looked at. And that's what Matthew 24 is speaking to. It's speaking to the people that were in, are going to be in the seven-year tribulation, the, the remnant. And, and they're, they're believers and they love the Lord and so forth, but they have to go through that terrible seven years. Um, and then many of whom are going to be martyred and so forth. And, and so those are the people. He's still speaking to the same people. It's still the same context. Matthew 25 cannot be divorced from Matthew 24. It's the same discussion, the same discourse and so forth. And what we're going to see in chapter 25 is we're going to see two parables and we'll see one prophecy. Many people call it a, a parable, the third one, but it's not really a parable. It's really a prophecy. And it's all completely connected to chapter 25. In fact, you could say that chapter 25 is how you apply chapter 24. It's the application of everything that Jesus said and so forth. And so the the, the uh, disciple, the Matthew, he's recording all these things. Again, he's writing to Jews about a Jew, and he himself is a Jew. It's very Jewish in, in nature. And as we've talked about in the past, Matthew's gospel has the most amount of Jesus's teaching of all four gospels. About 60% of his gospel is comprised of Jesus's teaching. And so uh, this is his last of the five. There's five major teachings in the Gospel of Matthew. We had the Sermon on the Mount. We had the Missionary Manifesto in chapter 10. Then he spoke on the kingdom parables. After that, forgiveness. And now we're dealing with the Olivet Discourse and finishing that up today. Now the key to understanding what Jesus is getting at today in Matthew 25 has to do with the word delay. If you don't understand how the word delay affects this the meaning of chapter 25 it's going to be hard for us to understand it and so he's first of all describing when he begins here a wedding now for us as gentiles most of us i'm sure are gentiles in this room it's hard for us to understand a lot of what he's saying here because we're disconnected from the traditions related to jewish weddings and so this is talking about a jewish wedding here he's going to get into it in a minute but there was first the engagement which usually happened between the two fathers. Again, in that part of the world, it's very common to have arranged marriages. I'm not all against that. Um, you know, um, you know, God can arrange things. You know, so I'm all for that. But the, the, there's this arrangement there, this engagement. But then the actual wedding is comprised of two parts. First, the ceremonial part, which is called the betrothal, and that's when the vows are exchanged and all of that. And then the, the, the bridegroom, he would go away for a time. And it could be up to a year that he would go away. And he and no one would know when he was going to come back. And one of the things he was doing was he was adding on to his father's house. They lived like families. I mean, they lived together. Many times today, you go over there, you'll see that multiple generations are living together. So he would go and he would add on to his, his father's house. And then he would come unannounced and he would steal his bride away. Anyone say amen to that? Steal his bride away and, and then enjoy this great feast. And of course, it lines up perfectly with our relationship with our bridegroom because we, we were engaged from eternity past. We were chosen. We were elected. And in part, uh, that God's election is based on what we would choose in part among many other things. But if he knows our choices and who proposes to uh, a fiance without 
knowing what she's going to say. I mean, you've seen these on YouTube. They're not pretty. You know, when uh, they don't know the answer and they're like, oh, fail, you know, and uh, maybe if that's happened to you, you know, there's all kinds of grace for that. And we, we have compassion for you. But, uh, you know, I made sure that Sandy was going to say yes. I knew that that was I mean, yeah, I didn't want to have to deal with the no on 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 that. But so it's just like the father. He knows what we're going to say. You know, and, and he, so he, we're engaged with and so forth with, way from eternity past and so forth. But then we're betrothed to Jesus at salvation. We exchange vows, don't we, in a sense? He's already made his vows to us. We find out about those vows, but we make vows in the sense of receiving him and saying, I will or I do. And, uh, sometimes there are people there that, you know, if anyone objects this wedding, raise their hand or, you know, sometimes there are people at that moment of conversion that are objecting. You know, family or friends or whatever, and we don't really do that anymore, which I'm thankful for in our age of hecklers. You know, politicians, I don't feel sorry for politicians, but they do have to deal with a fair amount of hecklers. You know, all I have to deal with is people going like this and shaking their head no as I'm teaching. And that's not very comforting, trust me, when, when I, when I see that. So, um, anyway. So here, it's, it's a perfect picture because Jesus said in John chapter 14, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Up that where I am, there you may be also. So he's preparing a place. He's preparing a place for his bride. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful picture that pre-tribulation rapture has incredible parallels to the Jewish wedding. And, and so it's beautiful how God has, has set it up. So now the one thing that we, before we get to any of these verses that we need to know about weddings is sometimes when you have a wedding ceremony, how many of us have been to a wedding? Okay. There's some people who haven't been to a wedding. So, okay, we'll accept that. We love you unconditionally. Um, so at weddings, Sometimes the wedding coordinator has this really strict timetable. This is going to happen now. This is going to happen then. And everyone's agreed on it. But rarely do those things ever really work out in terms of the timing. Things just don't go normally to plan. And so that's kind of common for a wedding ceremony. But Jesus is saying a little something a little bit different. He's saying that the actual wedding itself is going to possibly be Delayed. And that's the key, like I said, the key word to understanding that is, is this word delayed. Look back, uh, hold your place here, look back at Matthew 24, verse 48. Because he's already talked about this already. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying, look at, see, delaying his coming see bad happens when delaying you know when there's delaying bad happen things can happen in our with us now look in our passage and just jump down real quick to verse 5 20 chapter 25 verse 5 but while the bridegroom was delayed they all slumbered and slept so that's the key to understanding this whole thing what he wants us to know what to do while we're waiting he says that there's going to be a delay. And what happens when there's we're expecting something to happen and then there's a delay uh, related to our stewardship, related to what God has us doing? When we're, we lose track of that moment, He could come back at any time. 
You know, we start compromising. We start not being busy about his business. We start being distracted. We start allowing weights that uh, Hebrews chapter 12 talks about that put aside the weights and the sin that so easily ensnares us and run with endurance. You know, marathon runners try to break free from any weight that they possibly, they're trying to be as light as they can. They don't try to get away with having, you know, a certain thing that's heavy or whatever. They know that'll slow us down. And sometimes when we're waiting and we're waiting, we can allow weights to come to slow us down in our race. And he doesn't, he doesn't want that. So how much has the delay been so far? <laughs> it's been almost 2,000 years. But yet he's still on time. He's still, he has perfect timing. And as we see this world get worse and worse and worse, and I firmly believe there's going to be an economic complete crash coming. And it's going to be not even close to what we saw in 2008, unfortunately. And all we know in our church since we've been around is a recession. It's like, what's it like to be in a normal economy? I don't know. Uh, but it's going to, I believe it's going to happen. Things are going to get worse and worse, but his timing is perfect. It's flawless. And so what he's talking about is, is how to apply the fact that he could come at any moment. And as we get more and more down the line with our lives and our ministries and all of that, we can get fatigued because we're thinking that should have happened by now. And, and, and we start getting lazy. We start dropping the ball. We stop being good stewards of what he's entrusted us to. Everything that we own is his. It's not like the, the, the part that he leads us to give to him financially is his and then the rest of it's mine and I get to decide what I want to do with those things. It's all his. Every, our time, our talents, everything, our, our treasure, our influence, our authority, all those things belong to him. They still belong to him. And he is, the, the as it's been said, the greatest you know, venture capitalist anywhere. He wants a good return on his investment and he's invested in us. He's given us things to do. He's given us things to, to obey him in and all these things. And he wants a good return. And, and as we'll see, just breaking even is unacceptable for him. Well, if I just break even, I'm good. He'll, he'll be fine. No, he won't. He wants a good return on his investment. Now let's look at verse one. Then the king of heaven shall be likened to 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now it's easier for us to understand these are bridesmaids and they would go out and they would meet the, they would meet the, along with the bride, they would meet the, the bridegroom and then they would go back to the bridegroom's home where the feast was at. The feast was at the bridegroom's home and they would carry torches because a lot of times, uh, the bridegroom would come at night. And so they had, they weren't, they weren't carrying these little lamps, you know, like you would imagine. They're carrying torches and the torches had a little place to put extra oil and it would feed the flame and so forth. And so that's kind of the picture. They would need the torches because they would be traveling at night. Verse two. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, there's our word, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard, behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And trimmed just means they prepared their lamps. That's all it means. Verse eight, and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, no, lest there should be not enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. 
And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came, also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Now, if you're a student in Scripture of, of Scripture, you know that the, the, the oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit in Scripture and in other places as well. Um, in the, I mean, in the Old Testament and in other places. And so here, this oil, it's you know, obviously talking about salvation. Okay, so that's the first way to be prepared uh, for the bridegroom is actually be saved, you know, because we need to have, I mean, you look at the, the you, you look at what's coming for them and it's not good. They're, you know, it's a picture of hell. And so that's obvious. That's the first thing. And there are people that they have lamps. They look on the outside as if they know Christ, but they don't. You know, Corinthians tells us to examine ourselves whether or not we're in the faith, lest he not be in you and then you fail the test. Because Christ in us is what makes us spiritually alive. So there's a lot of professors out there. You know, a lot of times with, when Billy Graham or Greg Laurie, they do a, uh, or Franklin Graham, they do a, a crusade and they report on the numbers. They always use the word professing. They don't say conversions because we don't know the hearts. So people made a profession of faith. That means they're claiming that they have faith and so forth. So we have to make sure that we're actually believers. All kinds of people think they're believers, but yet their definition of what causes a person to know Christ is different than what the Scripture says. And so we have to make sure we know that we know that we know. And the Holy Spirit testifies to our spirits that we're children of God. That's one of His ministries is is to do this. But there's a way that we can apply it today. Those of us that are that are saved and so forth. Because these things specifically are talking about, like just like the context continues from last week, it's talking about specifically these people that are in the tribulation and so forth, these remnant of Jews and all of that. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But there's a way that, I mean, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And all of it has an application for us. And for us as believers who already have oil, who already are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, there's a great application related to being refilled with the Holy Spirit. You know, in the book of Acts, they were refilled with the Holy Spirit. As it's been said, you know, we're leaky vessels. And so because he has us in the middle of what he has us in the middle of at times, we need that power to be a witness to him. We need that power. And so often we, we don't spend time communing with him. We don't ask to be refilled with the Spirit. We're not, we lose our dependence upon him. We start depending on ourselves. And Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. But we know that in the beginning sometimes, but after time, after maybe there's delays, that word. And things, you know, we haven't had the rapture yet. We haven't seen him work how maybe we thought he would work in our lives. We can stop depending upon the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we don't have ministry. We don't have the church functioning how he intended it to function. You know, it's scary when you take Jesus out of a church and it keeps running as if nothing's wrong. And there's churches that are like that. The church of Sardis in the book of Revelation had this reputation that they had, were rich and wealthy and had need of nothing and all these things. But Jesus' assessment was that you're, you're the opposite. So outwardly, we can look completely different than what we truly are inwardly. And so much of that has to do with our, our ceasing to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit to do the work. I, I used to love Pastor Chuck saying all the time, you know, just keep it simple, 
and trust the Holy Spirit to do the work. If He doesn't do the work, there's no work that's going to be done. And, and that's, that's, a great, that's a great answer for our lives and our ministries and so forth. So, so we're not specifically looking for the second coming like these people are in the tribulation, but we're looking for Jesus to come and snatch us away. And that's going to happen before the, the, the second coming. So we still don't know when He's going to come. This still applies for us today. And for us, as we wait, it's really you could say, what do we do while we wait? And that's what He's basically laying out for us. One of the things that we do while we wait is we're fruitful for Him. But that can only happen as we're dependent upon the Holy Spirit. We have to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit or nothing's going to get done. And we can know that, depend upon that, have done it in the past, and before we know it, we can completely forget it, and we're not dependent upon Him, and before we know it, we're dry, we're, we're, we're physically or spiritually just like the, the desert floor. I mean, just cracked and, and just needing an overflowing of the Holy Spirit coming forth through our lives. And so that's what He has called us to. You know, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, we're told this. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, when we did our series on the Holy Spirit, and I had did, I think I did a whole week on just being refilled with the Spirit. One of the things I mentioned when we looked at this verse is that the tense is, is on, it's a command, but it's ongoing. So it's continuously be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a command. It's not an option. It's a command. Continuously be filled with with the Holy Spirit. And sometimes our ministries grow, our influence grows, but yet we still have the same intake. We still have the same spiritual intake. And so often when He calls us to different things or different chapters in our, in our lives or He's changed things up or He's broadened our influence and all of that, the intake needs to increase for us. Because if it doesn't, we need, we're not going to be serving with His strength and we're not going to be an extension of him we're going to not be the vessel that he wants us to be because we are not getting his power and his grace uh, to minister to others so the greater the output the greater the need for input now he gets to the second parable verse 14 for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. Whose money was it? His Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Notice the word, the two words long time. After a long time. That's another way of saying delayed. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also had he also had who had received two talents came and said, "Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them." His lord said to him, "Well done, good and faithful servant. You have entered you have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over there's a promotion there. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy 
of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents for whoever for to everyone who has more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have even what he has will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now we have looked at it wasn't too long ago that we looked at talents and a talent was 75 pounds of precious metal, gold, silver, or something else that's precious and so forth. And it would, it would equal about 20 years worth of wages, 20 years. Can you imagine having something that was worth 20 years of your wages? That would be a lot of money. And one of them was given five of those. Another one was given two and one giving, given one. So it represents a blessing from God, something that came from God. And so he says in verse 19, after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he's again warning that it's going to take some time after a long time have have uh, passed. And so this is speaking of the father entrusting us with wealth. And we, we talk about wealth in the in the form of spiritual gifts, uh, finances, influence, authority, all these things that he's entrusted to us. And so not only are we to be refilled with the spirit and be ready, but we have to be a part of what he's doing. He wants us to be a part of what he's doing. You know, he doesn't need us. You know, when you're working with your kids and you're having them help you and there's not much that I can do. <laughs> so uh, there are the few things that I can do. I've let my kids be a part of that. And, you know, you're not going around looking for the most qualified person in the neighborhood and go, oh, my kids can help me with this project. That's usually not how it works. You want them to be with you because you love them and you want them to participate in what you're doing. And, and so this is kind of the idea that God wants us to be a part of what he's doing. He has tasks for us. He has left us with finances. He's left us with all these things that he's deposited into our lives and he's ex- has an expectation associated with those things. I mean, if someone was to give you a certain amount, let's say they were, gave you a million dollars and then you mishandled that. You didn't invest it. And let's say you lost money or whatever. You didn't spend it in the way that the person that gave you the money wanted you to spend it. How much more would, would he give you? He wouldn't give you any more. I mean, he probably wouldn't trust you again. And everything that we have is the Lord's. It all belongs to him. And he wants a return on his investment. He wants a return on his investment. And so one thing that we see, and we see it in verse 15, is that they went out and got busy right away. Notice in verse 15, it says, and to one, he gave five talents, the other two to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. They got busy right away. 
And he gave them those things according to their ability. And that's one of the things that, that we see. But notice that the faithful ones receive the same reward. And he, he says that. He says, So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more besides them. And it's the same with the one that had done the two um, talents. And he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. So both of these servants, they both get the same reward. The one with five talents, that had been trusted with five talents, he didn't get any more than the one that had been entrusted with two talents. The issue is not the how gifted we are or how successful we are or how our pedigree or our background or what we know or although he didn't say well done good and you know gifted servant the issue is faithfulness they received praise from their master they received a promise of future blessing and they received the encouragement to enter into the joy of, of their lord all based on faithfulness and that's the one thing that we have control over and more than anything else is our faithfulness you know, when we did our school of ministry at Calvary Chapel Modesto, one of the things I, I continued that we, that I experienced in the school of ministry at uh, Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa was that you couldn't fail a class by getting a bad grade, uh, if you were faithful. So the issue is faithfulness. I already, I already have that under my control. So if I, cause people want to use failure to quit and it's no different for ministry. It's no different for anything in life. We want to use failure to quit sometimes. And, and God wants us to just to be faithful to what He's called us to do. And so we can think, well, what He's called me to do really isn't that significant. And so I'm not going to get rewarded like Billy Graham or Raul Reese or any of these guys that we look at and say, wow, the scope of their ministry is amazing. You know, they're going to get such an amazing reward. We see here that the reward is based on faithfulness. So I could have a ministry of intercession. I, let's say I'm a shut-in and I'm at home. I can't get out of the house. I can't really do very much, but God's called me to a ministry of intercession and I'm faithful to pray consistently and faithfully. I could get the same reward as Billy Graham or anybody else that I would look to and think that they're gonna, the scope of their ministry is so great. The issue is faithfulness. You know, we're told in scripture that a servant must be found faithful. Consistent. And of all people in this world that should represent faithfulness, it should be believers. This whole world should know if that person claims to be a Christian, I know that I can depend on that person. I know that faithfulness, that their life's going to be marked by faithfulness and consistency. And, and that because Jesus is like that. Our God is faithful. So of course he's going to call his children to be faithful. But the issue, the thing that can work against that is our word delay. Delay. Things don't happen the way that we expect. You know, the rapture hasn't happened yet. This world's getting worse and worse. You know, these, the things that I expected to happen in my life didn't happen the way that I thought. And, and all these things, these promises that I believe that God has spoken to me about hasn't happened yet. And I start to get discouraged. And then I start allowing unfaithfulness to happen. And one of the things that cures discouragement and depression and all these things that can really make a massive impact on that is just being faithful to what God's called me to be no matter what happens. And a lot of times when we're, when we're going through difficult things and trials and all of that, I've said this many times, if we're paying attention and we're looking and we're watching and we're available, ministry will be right there in ways that are very, very profound. You will have a nurse that 
You know, uh, we're in the hospital or whatever. We have a nurse that's discouraged and they see the joy on with us and they're like, why are you so joyful? You're the one in the hospital and I'm getting paid to be here. And you're like, the Lord is good. He hasn't changed. He's going to be good no matter if I'm in this hospital or not. He doesn't change. He's, he's worthy of my worship. And there's an opportunity right there. Or at our work and we're struggling at work and nothing's going right. We're struggling. We're not getting appreciated or we didn't get that raise. We got passed up for the promotion or whatever it is. And we're, we're having to do things we don't want to do. And before we just realize, wow, look at this divine setup that God's done. This divine appointment that I find myself in the middle of, in the middle of a trial. And so he just wants us to be faithful. The most, the people that have been used by the Lord the most in our lives, one of the things besides love that's the most impactful for our lives is their faithfulness. Think about us in need in times where a believer came and was just faithful to be there and tell us the truth and be available to pray for us and to, and to, to weep with us and to bear our burdens with us and, and all of that. So what an important thing just to be faithful. It's so hard. You know, we should, we should be the most faithful people around anywhere, regardless of our, what we're in the middle of, our work or ministry or, or whatever it is, our marriages, our families. We should represent faithfulness because God is faithful. And so He wants a return in our investment. Let me ask you, and I ask myself too, exhort myself. Where are you not faithful? Where in your life are you not being faithful to what He's called you to do or to be? Are you leading by example? Do your children look at you and think faithfulness? Do your friends or the people that you work around that you're sharing Christ with, do they see that you're faithful? The people that you serve among here, do they say this person's dependable, they're faithful, they're consistent? It, there's so much of just growth happens when we're just there. We just show up and we, I mean, our hearts can be struggling and all of that, but we're there and we have an opportunity for God to say, okay, be encouraged with this scripture. Or they bring, God brings somebody into our lives at that moment that can pray for us or whatever it is. We're discouraged. We're downtrodden, but we're determined. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful. God's going to help me be faithful all the way to the end because not every Christian's going to hear good and faithful servant. There's going to be some Christians that don't, that don't hear that. And, and we see the judgment seat of Christ when we look in Corinthians and we see that some will, and we're not talking about the great white throne judgment at the end of the millennium. We're talking about the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat as it's called, where we're before Christ. We're giving an account for our lives, our stewardship. And we're giving an account for all the things that we did, the motivation for why we did them, the things that we didn't do that he told us we were supposed to do. And, and do we have the motivation of love and all these things? And Paul describes it as some of them are going to make it through there barely as if like you barely made it through a fire and, and they still will be there. And it's not an issue of salvation, but they, man, they, they, it's like the, <laughs> I made it to this by the skin of my teeth. And, and it's going to be an awesome thing to face Jesus, to stand before him and give an account. There's not going to be anybody else. You know, there's not going to be lifelines, you know, calling them for a lifeline or a friend or whatever. How do I answer this? It's going to be just us and him standing, looking in those eyes and and giving an account for our lives. And we want to have him be blessed on that day, don't we? We want Him to be blessed. We want Him because He's going to want to bless us so much. His, he has such a blessing-giving heart. He's going to want to just, oh, 
but he's not going to bless something he can't bless. And he's not going to say that you're faithful when you're not. And so that's what he wants. He wants us to grow and he wants us to be faithful no matter what so that he can say that to us. Nobody wants us to hear well done, good and faithful servant more than the Lord Jesus. He wants to say that to us. He knows what it'll mean to us. And he wants he wants us to receive that joy and so forth. So what a beautiful exhortation. So be refilled with the spirit. Be faithful with what he's entrusted us with. Now on to the one talent, verse 24. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will, will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, to me, the most responsible way to interpret this is that he didn't know Christ. I mean, I don't see any other way that you can... Uh, interpret that. Uh, but there, there is application for us as well. Because again, he's not aiming for break even. He sure doesn't want a loss on his investment, but he's not aiming at breaking even. He wants to make money or make an, uh, uh, you know, a, an impact through our lives, have a return on his investment with what he's entrusted us with. And, and we can, because of his delay, again, that's the thing that works against us. The delay of his coming, the delay of some answered prayer that we have been waiting for, the delay of, of life happening the way that we thought. We can have all these expectations and thinking that God has to work this certain way or, you know, he, he doesn't love me or he, he's doesn't, you know, he, uh, he's not blessing me the way that he should bless me. And so we're let down because of this and then we just let it affect us. And so I believe even you know, believers cannot invest anything that they've been entrusted with. And, and we don't want to grieve God's heart. It's not a matter of heaven and hell. We're saved. But it's a matter of grieving His heart. He's the one that gave us these gifts. He's the one that gave us these wonderful things that we get to enjoy. Every good and perfect gift is from Him. And, and, and we get to benefit from these gifts and these talents and these, these, uh, the influence that He's entrusted us with. And, and we want to bless Him. Our whole entire lives should be wrapped around wanting to bless his heart, wanting to express worship uh, with our lives to him. And so we can see his heart here. He doesn't want to just break even because he did break even with him burying it. He wants a return on his investment. So again, it's searching. Where is he not getting a return on his investment with me, with my gifts, whatever it is, my life, my time, my money? Are you Everything that we have is his. And he wants to spiritually and supernaturally direct our lives to spend our lives how he sees fit. A well-spent life is a yielded life and a serving life. It can't be like Jesus if we're not serving. Jesus is a servant. It's impossible. And he said in John 13, after he washed the disciples' feet, he said, I have washed your feet. You ought to wash one another's feet. 
If I being your Lord did this, you should be able to do that for one another. And there's all these different kinds of ways that we can serve, different ways that we can give our lives away. And ministry always represents sacrifice. Sometimes we think, wow, you know, if I have to sacrifice, then, you know, maybe, maybe I'm not where I'm supposed to be. It's like, no, everything about what the Lord does is sacrificial. Love is sacrificial. And it's going to cost you something. But it's going to cost us more if we don't love, if we don't obey what He's called us to do, if we're not engaged in the ministries that He's called us to engage in. And so it's a great exhortation. Now, the next parable really isn't a parable. It's really a prophecy. Verse 31, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Now, that what this is talking about is this is talking about this. It's called the judgment of the nations. And it's not nation states that He's judging. It's people, individuals that He's judging. And because the word nation is ethnos, so it's ethnicity. It's where you get our word ethnicity from. He's now this narrowly is talking about how Gentiles, nations, and and Gentile people are treating the Jews that come to know Christ in the tribulation period. How 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 we treat Jewish believers because that's his brethren that he talks about, and so they're not they're going to be cut off. Christians are going to be cut off from. The, the, you know, they can't take the mark. And so they're going to be cut off from financial uh, provision and all these things. And so they're going to be hurting. And there's going to be people that help Christians at this time. They're going to help Christians. They're going to come to their aid and so forth. And at the end of this, remember, we've been talking about what the expectation of the Jews. The expectation of the Jews is that the Messiah would sit on the seat of David and rule and reign on this earth. And that's what they're expecting. And that's what's going to happen. That's what he talks about in verse 31. That he will sit on the throne of his glory. That's in Jerusalem there. And he says all the nations will be gathered before him. So he's gonna, there's going to be a judgment that happens before the millennium starts. There's going to be a judgment. It's not the great white throne judgment. That's a thousand years from this point. But there is going to be a judgment on how people treated believers in the tribulation period. And he's going to divide the sheep from the goats. And so he says, and, and I will set the sheep on, on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king, that's Jesus, will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. He's talking about the physical kingdom. Now, very few people are going to make it through the seven year tribulation. We're only talking, you know, um, you know, 5.8 billion people, if it happened right now, would survive or would be killed, rather. So the leftover uh, would would be alive. So we're not talking a lot of people, but he's going to talk about how they treated them. And, and it's really important to note that he's not talking about a works-based salvation at this point. Because notice he says there in verse 34, come and be blessed my, uh, of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. How do you how, how do you receive an inheritance? You're born into that family. So he's, he's still talking about a spiritual birth that has to happen. And he says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. So it's expressed in a very specific way. These people that were hurting, 
in the tribulation period. He said you, these things were very specific of how you met needs and so forth. And then the righteous will answer and they don't, they don't realize that the connection between doing these things to people in the tribulation and doing them to Jesus because they didn't even know they did anything to him. They say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothed you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Verse 40, and the king will answer and say to him, assuredly, I say to you, insomuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And so they say the same thing. They say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or imprisoned and did not minister to you? And then he will answer saying, Assuredly, I say to you, insomuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment but the righteous into eternal life. And so there's going to be these people that help Christians in the tribulation period. Jesus is going to notice that. And when he and he's preparing the people for entering into the thousand year millennium, the, the kingdom age, the one, things that the Jews have been waiting for. But there obviously is an application for us today because he cares about people. He cares about the needy. He, it's not that he just cares about Christians. He cares about unbelievers too. And he calls us to be salt and light in this world. He doesn't want our lamp to be covered. He wants it to, to the, the lampshade, so to speak, to be uncovered so that we shine throughout this whole world and we look like Christ and we do the things that the Lord wants us to do. And, and he, he said that, that they may glorify my Father which is in heaven. And so we need to be refilled with the Spirit. We need to you know, function it with the things that we've been entrusted with. But that thing, that kind of thing is looks a certain way. It, it helps people. It comes to people that are in need and helps. And I'm so thankful that our church is growing in that. It's growing in helping people in need and so forth and, and being there for people in their time of crisis and weeping with those who weep and, and, and helping them see that the answer is the Lord. And, and, and that's, he is pleased by that. And when we do that to people and we help them and we help especially other believers and all of that, we are ministering to the Lord Jesus. He sees that. It makes a difference to him and he will bless us accordingly. You know, it's so easy to be disconnected from the needs of people. And we can forget that all of us could be in the same position as anybody that we see. None of us are immune to having a time of struggle or a time of, of uh, you know, uh, being poor and, and all those things. None of us are above that. And it's so easy to forget that, that God has a heart for people and He hasn't lost sight of the people that are hurting, that are lost. Remember in John chapter 4 where he's, it said He needed to go through Samaria to that, to that woman at the well. He needed to go through Samaria. He had His heart on that lady, that woman who was so troubled and looking for love in all the wrong places and, and, and having, trying to have fulfillment through relationships. And he sat down with her and he ministered to her and he loved her and he gave her the truth and he revealed himself to her in such a profound and direct 
way. That's what He's called us to do. He's called us to be there for people, to be there in their times of need and so forth. That's what's supposed to take up our time as we're waiting. He has delayed. He has, wait, he has delayed His coming and so forth, but it's, He's not off of His timetable. He's on this perfect, perfect timetable. And in the meantime, we're supposed to, as they say, occupy until He comes and redeem the time we're told in Scripture. Redeem the time. Make use of every time and sp- that we have and spend our days and our evenings and our nights uh, just completely dedicated to Him and His work being set aside for His holy use and His purposes. That's what brings Him joy. He's worthy of that. He's worthy of that stewardship for us to take care of the things that He has entrusted to us. Maybe it's a time for us to go, you know, just be alone with Him and go for a walk and let Him minister to us and have Him itemize to us all the things that He's blessed us with and all the things that He's entrusted to us and have Him make those corrections and say, you know, this area you're doing great. In this area, you're, you're not giving that over to me to use. You're holding it for yourself to use. You know, so often we think of, because we're so selfish, we think of the gifts of the Spirit are for my benefit. And that's what the Corinthians thought. It was all about them and all about them. There was a self-focus that they had. And then we think the fruit of the Spirit is primarily for our benefit. But it's not. No one goes up. The tree doesn't benefit from an apple that it's, that it's, that's, it's producing. Fruit is for the enjoyment of other people that walk up to the, to the tree. So the fruit of the Spirit is supposed to be everybody else enjoying those things from our life. Yes, we enjoy it too. We get blessed and all of that. But we want other people to be able to walk up to our lives and be able to take that love fruit off or whatever it is, all the other fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, and just encounter Christ when they come into our lives. That we are open vessels for him to to use and all of that and we're, we are growing in that we have we've come a long ways as a church but god wants us to continue to grow in that to be available to be spending everything towards him not how much can we hold back for ourselves and still be counted as someone that's being fruitful not just not do that but just i want to be fruitful in every way and 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 not hold anything back and see what he does with our lives so often we start serving in a certain area and and we're not being worn out for the Lord in that area. We're not really, really serving and giving and all those things in the way that God. I've, I've done it so many times. Where I've been serving in a ministry and I'm I'm on I'm on cruise control. You know, I'm just coasting. I'm not being. I'm not letting the Lord stretch me in it. I'm not. I stopped being spirit directed in it because I did it for so long. Now I'm just on autopilot and I don't even have to think. And God says, No, 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 no. That's not how I work. I want to change things up. I want to, I want to do something differently through your life in the same ministry, maybe, but do something differently. I want, because all those things keep us dependent upon Him. He doesn't keep us doing the same things forever, often because we would start depending on ourselves in doing them. And He wants to change things up. So as we're flexible, as we're open, as we desire to be good stewards of His resources and His gifts and all of that, He's going to bless us. And then when we get there, when He snatches us up, in the rapture or we die and we go to be with him we'll be able to stand before him and we'll be able to hear him say well done good and faithful servant and that'll be worth everything the crowns we're going to throw back at his feet but the hearing him say well done good and faithful servant i can't wait to hear that i want to hear that i want to hear him say that if there's anything that i can bless his heart with after all that he's done for me i want to do that amen let's pray lord help us to be good stewards
of everything you've entrusted us with. Thank You, Jesus, that You have changed us, those of us that know You from the inside out. I pray, Father, that You would help us to, to be sensitive to Your Spirit's leading, Lord. Help us, Father, to, to know any area that we're not obeying You in and we're not being a good manager of what You have entrusted us with. And I pray, Lord, that You'd just pour in Your encouragement as You are so faithful to do. I pray You'd encourage Your people today that they can't outgive You can outserve you and and that they and myself want to worship you with our lives in every way. We pray Lord you be glorified through our lives and everything that you produce through them in Jesus name. Amen.